Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Faith at the forefront of today's events. From a Catholic cultural perspective, it's in the arena with your host, Monsignor Kieran Harrington. Hey gang, welcome to In the Arena. My name is Monsignor Kieran Harrington. You're listening to us on WOR Radio, 710 on your AM dial, channel 97 on Time Warner, channel 30 on Cablevision, channel 48 on Verizon Fios. This week we're talking presidential politics with the upcoming debates at Hofstra University. And so with me to kind of unpack what's happening in our country and uh, what we think will happen during the debates, Matthew Sittman, who's associate editor at Commonweal, and Noah Rothman, who's online editor at... Commentary. commentary, not common wheel right. commentary. Right. So they are not colleagues, Just although names different. are very <laughs> Noah, uh, what do we expect this uh, debate uh, to be about? Uh, oh, I would imagine it's not going to be about anything positive. These candidates have decided that their only option for winning the White House is to go as negative as possible against their opponent. And for two candidates who are as despised as they are by the general electorate, I don't know what other options they have. So Hillary Clinton seems to be making some indications that she needs to make this positive case now in order to appeal to Democratic voters who are not on board with her candidacy. But that facade is going to melt away pretty quickly because each of them is going to be trying to get the other one off their game. And that means going negative, pushing buttons, you know, uh, elbowing in the ribs. That's that's what I expect. I expect to see jabs. Matthew, who's going to win this debate? I don't know. I think it could go either way. Uh it's interesting that we really haven't seen Trump in a one-on-one debate, have we? Uh, during the primaries, uh, it was you know the the 17-person clown car style debate for a lot of it, and then even when it winnowed, uh, you know it, it, he he never faced a one-on-one opponent. So part of me is just waiting to see how he reacts to that, and you know so I'm going into it with a fair bit of uncertainty. Now we uh, Johnson's not going to be in the debate, uh, and uh, and there's even some talk that Johnson may drop out of the race because they're afraid they're taking too many votes from Hillary Clinton right at the moment. Yeah, I don't know about that. Uh, that there was a report that Bill Weld, his running mate, was interested in, in doing that, and they're afraid because they're a little bit more antagonistic towards uh, uh, Mr. Trump than they are <laughs> Hillary Clinton. But that seems like it would just be so radical and such an, an, an attempt to shift the momentum in Hillary Clinton's favor that it would only backfire. Yeah. Now, the debates are discoring, uh, d- kind of surround very broad issues, restoring prosperity and security, right? And uh, we take a look at the uh, situation where we're at in, as a country. Let's kind of stop for a moment. and before, Instead of talking about the debates, let's talk about where we're at, what's on the minds of a lot of folks. And, you know, uh, last week uh, with uh, bombings in, uh, in New York City, even though uh, there were no fatalities, people were injured and property was destroyed, um, this uh, becomes a great cause of anxiety. And on top of that, in New York, where you feel the sense of security from from foreign agents, uh, then we see in North Carolina another police shooting and rioting that ensues, which kind of seems to suggest that we're back in like 1960 all over again. You know, what's the situation that Americans are faced with today from your perspective? 
In my mind, I think the civil unrest has a lot more potential to impact the election than the terrorist event. And <clears throat> we, we've been doing a lot of back padding over this terrorist event that's totally undeserved. We got real lucky. This individual targeted a Marine run in New Jersey. Uh, a relay failed and the race was delayed. Otherwise, a lot more people would have been injured, possibly killed. This uh, dumpster that this bomb was in absorbed a lot of the blast. The secondary explosion failed to go off. A bunch of thieves in Elizabeth found a bag full of explosives that if it had gone off when it was intended to, five hours later at this commuter station in Elizabeth, hundreds of people might have been killed. Uh, it could have been an extremely deadly weekend that would have really reshaped the race and terrorized the nation. We got real lucky. This un- civil unrest so, so has been happening about, for a while. Think about that, what you just said for a moment. So, you know, this is a sleeper cell. Something happened where this thing was activated. So you're telling me that if, if there's not a successful attack, that doesn't reshape the race? Of well, course look it would. At, look at how everybody's responding to yeah. it. It's just virtually disappeared from the radar. That doesn't happen. That's after just a because it was yeah. successfully the, the efforts were foiled. It wasn't. Uh, and there was this unrest in North Carolina. There was a ton of luck that was involved in this. And I don't see us really taking stock of how somebody managed to execute an extremely sophisticated series of bombing attacks over a multi-day period while having probably foreign assistance, because we know he traveled quite a bit to for- yeah. Afghanistan and yeah, Pakistan. Afghanistan. And we're not talking about the foreign connection there. Uh, that, to me, suggests it's not a very serious response to a terrorist event. One of the more sophisticated ones since 9-11. Okay. And what about the unrest in North Carolina? Well, I don't know. You know, I think one of the interesting things is that both of these sort of events, what's going on in North Carolina and the terrorist attack here in New York, both of them are, we've seen things like this a couple of times over the last couple of years. Right, racial unrest in regard in response to police brutality, mm-hmm. and then sort of self-radicalized lone wolf type terrorist uh, attacks, and you know, so, and I'm not sure, I'm not sure how, just how much it would change what people already think about either the two candidates or the, their general assessment of the lay of the land in the country. So let's right not now. let's not talk about the two candidates. Let's yeah. talk about the current administration. How is the current administration handling all this? I don't know. What do you think they should be doing differently? This is a question, right? Is uh, is that should the president have immediately come out? Should there have been a commitment uh, to better gathering of intelligence so that these uh, these sorts of uh, activities would be stopped in advance of being executed? And then in North Carolina, what should the president be doing? How come? What what's the reason that race relations seem to be at an all time low? Well, we got to take those two things. Police are killing black men. That's why. Well, but I mean, that's but you see, the thing is, is that I I do think that that, that, you know, the problem is, is that uh, when you say that, Mm -hmm. that that plays into a certain narrative, right? That uh, is, is it in fact the police is, is it a police strategy to kill black men? You know, I I don't think that that's exactly the case. And I think that this is where there's the real division where I think when you say that, right, uh, police are killing black men and people take to the streets and riot and then other people are getting shot. There becomes like the the social fabric starts to really unravel. I think President Barack Obama deserves quite a bit of blame for exacerbating racial tensions over the course of his presidency. He's done so for expediency. He's done so in order to uh, address tensions that he wanted to inflame, frankly, and going all the way back to the Robert Gates situation where he decided that he was going to intervene in just about every moment of racial tension. Now, there are moments where he's been actually quite good and a racial healer. Uh, I'm thinking specifically of the immediate aftermath of the verdict in the Trayvon Martin case. He delivered an extraordinarily touching, uh, heartfelt, unifying speech on race, and he's capable of that. 
but at the same time, he is also capable of exacerbating tensions when it serves his political interests. You immediate agree with that? Political interests. No, I don't agree with that at all. I think he's been, if anything, uh, hesitant to wade into some of the racial controversies the country's faced and pulled his punches some for fear of acting like an angry black man or for fear of putting his thumb on the scale in some way that uh, some Americans wouldn't agree with. Well, so this I is, actually, so your, I mean, your at, point look is, at, is look that at his reaction to the Charleston shootings. I mean, look at the speech he gave after that. How could you look at that man and say he's he's purposely inflamed racial tensions? I can tell you how, because you had his attorney general who appeared before the National Action Network and said that all opposition to Barack Obama has some roots in racial anxiety and animus. He explicitly I, campaigned on this. We invented the the scourge of uh, imagined um, dog whistles where things like apartment and Chicago and Constitution were talking to people in, in sub-rosa coded ways. Language, yeah. Coded language. that activated racists. And now we have somebody who's a legitimate, he, he ditches the dog whistling. This is just straight <laughs> up real uh, appeals to white tension. And Democrats don't seem to want to engage in any sort of soul-searching about calling fire when there was no fire well, that, in 2012. I, there is, Matthew, there is an issue here, right? You can't say that George Bush was a Nazi and John McCain is a Nazi and then come out and say, you know, Donald Trump is a Nazi because, you know what, all of a sudden everyone's language is like, just dial that back and say this is, you know, you've cried wolf too many times. I, well, I, I don't know what you want me to say to that. Should I, I, I mean... I, I'm not going to defend every element of no, Democratic no, no. I'm saying, but but, but Noah's point is is years. that Noah's point is that the language has gotten so inflamed that when you say everyone's a right wing radical, when in fact you know maybe they're conservative, they're not a radical or they're not someone who's subversive. That basically the currency has been completely diluted now, and so language has been you know the language that we're using. Is 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 not reflective of what's reality. And the right is certainly guilty of this too. Not everybody's a communist or a socialist, and as a result, we don't recognize them when they're when they're in front of when us. When actually a socialist is Precisely. nominated Precisely. to be, <laughs> is in the race to become president <laughs> of the United States. But but the dem, but the the left in, in particular, and to some extent the Democratic Party that relies on the left for political support, has been inflaming racial tensions for political gain for some time, and it has come back to bite them. Okay, no, Matthew. So who inflaming? Who, how I don't know. I just don't know specifically, apart from this speech that Eric Holder gave, I don't know what the what inflaming is being done. There's real racial injustice in this country, and if just talking about it and raising the issue is inflaming racial tensions, then I'm fine well, with I that. mean, the thing is, is that when you start to see, when you say there is real racial injustice, here here is the question, is... Uh, What's what? What is the level of injustice? Are pe- where is the level of discrimination that a single policeman has uh, executed a single black man? Does not mean that the institutions are racist because you can point to single instit- examples of a police officer, white police officer, killing a white person, and the, so there are there are examples on both sides. But it seems like we're there's a hypersensitivity. In terms of dealing with when, yeah. when race if is injected you, with the police. If, if you can look at our criminal justice system and not think it's deeply biased against yeah. African Americans. Well, but Matthew, here's then, the, that Donald Trump is the one who's saying that. He Donald Trump is the one who's saying, listen, black America, African American no. America, if the process has been working great for you, then vote for Hillary Clinton. No, 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 if you no, think it's wrong, no, you have no, nothing no, no, left no. to lose and vote for He's me. He's saying it's never been worse for African Americans. Right. That's not the same as actually addressing the concrete. No, but you, issues no, wait, 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 you, you just mentioned uh, you mentioned something which is, I think, a legitimate issue, which mm-hmm. the left and the right agree on. Right. The Koch brothers are in favor of criminal justice reform. Yeah. It's, it's well, a, the rare chance, a, the rare opportunity when a libertarian is right about something. 
I think the issue here is that we're impugning motives and that impedes progress. The Speaker of the House is trying to advance a criminal justice reform agenda in the lame duck session. That's going to get done. Uh, and we all agree that it needs to get done. And you have the, the Department of Justice that said in Ferguson that the police department was using African-American people as a cash dispenser, as they were just virtually yeah. they were using them in order to fill the coffers. That, and that was a violation of, of the Civil Rights Division that they should have been pursuing. But we're not talking about what happened to, to spark the, the riots in Ferguson, which was an invented idea that police officers were massacring young men but who, who were unarmed and had no, no violent intention. The hands up, don't shoot thing is a myth, and it was utilized for political gain. Uh, th- and that sort of thing impugns and intentions, and impugns in the death motives. Of five police officers finally in and Dallas, it, Texas, and it, put, where, it creates where moiety the, where it doesn't exist. Where and the president did give a phenomenal talk in, in Dallas, Texas. Let's come back uh, and talk. We still have a lot to talk about because whose reaction to the bombing? What were the reactions mm-hmm. to the bombing? What's the questions about policies in terms of prosperity? Let's let's talk about that when we come back in a moment. You're listening to WR Radio seven ten on your AM dial, channel ninety seven on Time Warner, channel thirty on Cablevision, fourteen thirty on your AM dial, relevant radio. It's in the arena. We'll be right back. Dear Calvary Hospital, James Lee was a true hero. Saving lives was something he always wanted to do, whether as a paratrooper for the 82nd Airborne or as a New York City fireman. They called him Jimmy. I was proud to call him Dad. But when terminal illness ravaged his body, this man's man knew that this was one life that could not be saved, not even by me, an experienced nurse. It just wasn't fair that he had to suffer like this. But then Calvary stepped in. You relieved his enormous pain and not only gave him the peace and comfort he deserved, but you also gave me and my family a chance to enjoy his final days, smiling and laughing, together one last time. How can we ever forget what you mean to us? Yours truly, Colleen Lee. This is Frank Calamari, president of Calvary Hospital where life continues. Call us at 718-518-2000. Thank you. And Butchies of Brooklyn, Italian kitchen and legendary desserts. We offer everything, a cafe, a bakery, a restaurant, and full bar. Our kitchen offers old-world Italian recipes, handed down from generation to generation, specializing in Italian-American cuisine. Let us host your next affair in our home, or we can cater to you in your home. Located in Staten Island at 4864 Arthur Kill Road, and you can call us at 718-227-0002. As the pieces of the financial investing and retirement puzzle continue to get more complicated, feel confident in your financial future at Jannie Montgomery Scott. Jannie's analysts and market strategists have the knowledge and expertise to help you understand trends and identify opportunities in changing markets. Call George Prezioso at 718-238-4800 for a complimentary consultation and financial report. Or go to Jannie.com. Jannie Montgomery Scott, LLC. Founded in 1985, the Brooklyn Veterinarian Group, located on New Utrecht Avenue, has been serving the community's pet needs for over 25 years. Dr. Pernice and his staff handle everything from prevention of heartworms, fleas, ticks to vaccinations, x-rays, and routine surgical procedures. Call 718-331-7775. Again, that number is 718-331-7775. Check out their website at www.brooklynvetgroup.com. Mention In the Arena and receive 10% off your first visit. In the arena with Monsignor Kieran Harrington on 710 WOR. 
Hey gang, welcome back to In the Arena. My name is Monsignor Kieran Harrington. You're listening to us on 710 WOR Radio, Channel 97 on Time Warner, Channel 30 on Cablevision, Channel 48 on Verizon Files, 1430 on your AM dial. That's relevant radio. Speaking about all the world events and the upcoming presidential uh, uh, presidential debates with Matthew Sitman, Associate Editor at Comwheel, and Noah Rothman, Associate Online Editor of Commentary. So not Comwheel Commentary. Uh, we were speaking at the last segment a little bit about uh, the reaction to the, the the upheaval, the racial tension that we're seeing in North Carolina. But tell me before we go into the next segment is uh, what is your sense of who reacted what instinctually who had a better reaction to the bombings in uh, New York? Was it Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump? Instinctually, I'm going to say Hillary Clinton. It's very similar to what happened after Orlando. Donald Trump did a little victory lap afterwards. He was he was a, a, attacked for saying that it was a bombing about 20 minutes after the bombing went off. I think that was irresponsible, but a lot of people want to debate that, and that's fine. Um, but to suggest that this is something that I've been predicting and so I should have a victory lap is precisely what hurt him after Orlando. you agree with that? Yes, totally agree. Uh, the only other thing I would add, though, is that in some ways, uh, I mean, Trump's reaction was worse. I'm not trying to draw a false equivalency. Yeah. But I think you could make the case that Hillary's um, very sober, very kind of bureaucratic-sounding response, um, you know, didn't really meet the moment either. Mm-hmm. Like, so I thought in terms of if you're going to play this out politically, I'm not sure either of them really helped themselves that much by the reaction. So now I'm going to take the other side of this. And I'm going to say, okay. listen, I think Donald Trump was exactly right on this, and I'll tell you why. Is Donald Trump's narrative is, is that you guys out there, uh, the elites, do not want to admit – that this country is under threat of terrorism. And so when there's a bombing that takes place uh, in New York uh, and there's a threat of a bombing in New Jersey and stabbing in Minnesota, everyone wants to say these are unconnected when in fact they are. And this is a this is a sign that we're asleep at the switch. And so when he goes out there and says, I told you this is about bombing, what he's basically saying is, wake up, America. We got a real security threat here. There are people coming into America that we don't know are actually here to do us harm. That's why I think he wins the day on this. It's possible. I don't know if I disagree with that. Um, I'm not sure to what extent Americans sort of conflate uh, the threat from Muslim immigrants, Muslim refugees, and naturalized Muslim citizens. Boston Marathon bomber, San Bernardino uh, shooting, Ford Hood shooters. I mean, the link here is is that there is a motivation for because of a, a political, religious political motivation. That's what he's identifying. Right, precisely, but he's not saying I'm going to do anything about it. His position is precisely Hillary Clinton's position. Look, you have an ideology abroad that's motivating people to commit acts of horrible terrorism. We don't have a problem with Japanese kamikazes anymore because that's an ideology that was destroyed militarily. Nobody has any interest in doing that. Yeah, well, did you just say their their plans are the same? They're very similar, almost indistinct. I mean, well, it's first of all, it's almost impossible to know what Donald Trump's plan is. Uh, Is he still in favor of the total ban on Muslim immigration? Well, I think think that when you take a look at that, that actually, uh, to me, that's something that is uh, that's different. I think that when I look at Donald Trump, I say I think where he comes, he's actually claims have been claims. And of course, this is disputed against the Iraq war. He's against these sort of entanglements with... He was not uh, against the Iraq war. No, I'm right. just saying what he claims. Okay. I, okay. He claims that he has been long-term... He called for, actually, the impeachment of President Bush, <laughs> as a result, if you remember. Yeah. This is the reason why there's such animus between the Bush family. So, uh, to my mind, I'd say, I don't know, what's his his engagement 
Donald Trump's strategy is let's build a wall around the United States. Nobody else comes in or goes out. Uh, and uh, and that's how we're going to seal ourselves off. Hillary Clinton is actually much more hawkish on this matter. To an extent. And, and then immigration policy has nothing to do with this threat. I mean, we're talking he about. He talks about them in those terms. Something's the, going on. We have to. Stop. Right. In Bo- but that wouldn't address this issue in Boston, in Orlando and now in, uh, in where we just in New not- York. These were naturalized children of foreign immigrants Asians, yeah. and there's nothing you can do about that in terms of an immigration policy what's the uh, reason why the president and and, and uh, hillary clinton are reluctant to speak about muslim terrorists islamic terrorism i think it's probably because uh first of all it's just how i don't know how helpful it is to paint in broad brushstrokes in these situations but second of all the the idea that all muslims are you know the problem just isn't the case so i think the more precise and nuanced our language here, the better. So let me ask you a question. Should the United States allow victims of terrorism to sue Saudi Arabia, which is a funder and exporter of terrorism? Why shouldn't they be allowed to sue uh, Iran, which is a the leading state sponsor of terrorism? Well, but then they'd be suing the United States government because we're giving them all sorts of cash right Well, now. you kind of answered your question with regard to the Saudi Arabia <laughs> so thing, the, didn't you? This is the question well, that a lot of Americans well, are asking themselves now, right? Yeah. If Is there a link between the Saudis and uh, and the September 11th? And if there is, should we be able to— And President uh, Clinton, President, Clinton, President uh, Obama is going to veto that legislation. But, Muncie, I want to— Supported by one, Chuck Schumer, senior senator in New York. To, to just get one point in here, yeah. it's, you know, the, the bomber's father actually turned him in, right? S- suggested that he might be a terrorist to government authorities. Do you think a father like that is more or less likely to do that kind of work uh, if, if our rhetoric about Muslims uh, is ramped up? Uh, the, if, he's, if he feels more and more alienated from American society by the message. He's he, 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 by he, here's the, he, here's the question culture. is, is the question is, is that um, when you have a large percentage of a population, large percentage, and when I say large, 10, 15, whatever, what, let's say 30 percent is what a lot of people suggest. Let's go down and say it's 15 percent. Let's say half that number are radicalized. When you're dealing with over a billion people, that's a lot of people. Look, uh, I'm, I agree that it's counterproductive to embrace the kind of rhetoric that Donald Trump has. It's, it's populist nationalism, and it, it's odorous. But let's not pretend that Barack Obama is pursuing the most effective course of terrorism that he possibly could. He told Vox.com really not too long ago, about a year ago, that he really resents the fact that the press reports on these things insofar as it inflates the idea that terrorism is a threat when they could be reporting on things like climate change and the curing of diseases. This is a guy who's not serious about terrorism. He regards it as a nuisance, as something that distracts from his overall priorities. To the extent that that is a policy, it's one that allows a certain amount of bloodshed as a cost of doing business in this modern world. If we were serious about destroying terrorism, we would be destroying the caliphate ISIS, as we've so many times pledged to do. How would we do that? Militarily. With a large footprint and an occupying force. So so you've learned... So large... Large military footprints in the Middle East uh, in 2016, after the last decade and a half, you still think those are a great idea? No, Barack Obama thinks they were a great idea. That's why it was neutralized. The threat was neutralized in 2010, why he removed his troops from Iraq, didn't negotiate a status of forces agreement, and said we were leaving behind a stable and secure nation. I mean, that is the argument, right? That is the, the that has been the argument that's been made, is, is that that's precisely what has brought us to this point right now. And... Further large footprint military engagements you think would not be counterproductive in the Middle East? 
do I think that yeah. another enga- engagement yeah. in the Middle East? I, you know, the question is, is that I think that for Barack Obama, when he drew the bright line with Saddam, with uh, with Syria. Uh, in Syria, I think he put it. I think Assad's a bad guy. But you know what? I think ISIL is worse. ISIS is is a lot worse. But that's how we got to ISIS. Yeah. <clears throat> if you draw that, if you really remember where we were on September 10th, 2013, when the president of the United States addressed the, the nation in prime time, said this is why we need to enforce the norm prohibiting the use of chemical weapons against civilians because eventually American troops will be on a chemical battlefield. And then he proceeded to say, well, Congress is going to save me from this and so are the Russians. A year later, we don't need Congress to intervene in Syria all of a sudden. The Russians didn't get chemical weapons out of that country, nor did they forestall our intervention. And today, we have American troops facing ISIS armed ISIS is armed with chemical warheads. Apparently, they're attacking American troops with mustard gas warheads, as the Pentagon confirmed on Tuesday. And all of this was predicted by Barack Obama. He said as much in that speech. Now... The idea that we're not going to have to contain this threat in the next presidential term strikes me as naive. I imagine that we're going to have to do precisely what Barack Obama said we would do, which is send American troops to chemical battlefields. Do you think that Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton is going to be more inclined to do so? I believe Hillary Clinton will be, even though she said she wouldn't be, which was a silly premise for her to promise. I think she'll be a fairly hawkish, aggressive president in terms of foreign policy. Does that concern you? Yeah. Yeah, it does. I you mean, do you think Donald Trump would be do- more dovish? Um, well, I, I don't know. It's, they're kind of not exactly comparable situations. I think Donald Trump would be more likely to lash out, to engage in, uh, you know, to, to send our military abroad or bomb the hell out of people as sorry, okay. almost. Well, I mean, you know, you know hey, I mean? like, yeah, no, this no, is like, a quote. No, there's like two different. <laughs> yeah, no, there's like two different kinds of. I mean, I that, think, was of Clinton, that was the that was the Clinton administration yeah. strategy when they had when sure. we had problems with terrorism, yeah. we bombed them, no. and and there wasn't dr- we didn't have drones like we have today. Yeah. Now Barack mm-hmm. Obama is using drones. Very let's yeah. let's shift gears because we got to talk very briefly. I want to yeah. kind of segue into the next segment. You know, what one of the things that's also before uh, Congress right now is the internet. And that the Internet is now no longer going to be regulated by the United States, but it's going to be re- regulated by a, uh, an international body. Is this a good thing or a bad thing? What's going to be the impact for the free flow exchange of information? I think this is a, a serious question that's going to also affect a kind of prosperity of a country. And why is this happening now at the, at the, at the sunset of his presidency without a real engagement of debate, which I think is merited. So let's talk about that when we come back in a second. You're listening to In the Arena. And by the way, uh, why don't you join our conversation on Facebook? You go to facebook.com backslash net in the arena or on Twitter. You can follow me at uh, Monsignor H using the hashtag in the arena. Are you guys on uh, Twitter? I am. Uh, What's your Twitter handle? Go ahead. Come on. Noah C. Rothman. Matthew Sittman. Underscore in between. All right, very good. And they're following us on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, You should follow us, too. We'll be right back. St. Sebastian is a thriving parish. The chapel is open for adoration with benediction weekdays from 730 until 645 and Sundays from 8 to 5. There are also weeknight masses every day at 7 p.m. with a Spanish service on Thursdays, in addition to the regular Sunday mass schedule, which offers eight opportunities for worship, including a 1030 a.m. mass with ASL interpreter and a noon Mass in Spanish. Come out and join us at 3963 57th Street in Woodside, New York. 
and Butchies of Brooklyn, Italian kitchen and legendary desserts. We offer everything, a cafe, a bakery, a restaurant, and full bar. Our kitchen offers old-world Italian recipes, handed down from generation to generation, specializing in Italian-American cuisine. Let us host your next affair in our home, or we can cater to you in your home. Located in Staten Island at 4864 Arthur Kill Road, and you can call us at 718-227-0002. Hi, this is Monsignor Jamie Giantiello of the Diocese of Brooklyn, inviting you to support Catholic education and school choice by assisting a needy family through futures in education. You can help children in underserved communities throughout Brooklyn and Queens attend local Catholic schools where 98% of the students graduate high school and are accepted into four-year colleges. Discover how you can give back by sponsoring a needy child at futuresineducation.org. That's futuresineducation.org. Help us change a child's life through the gift of education. Founded in 1985, the Brooklyn Veterinarian Group, located on New Utrecht Avenue, has been serving the community's pet needs for over 25 years. Dr. Pernice and his staff handle everything from prevention of heartworms, fleas, ticks to vaccinations, x-rays, and routine surgical procedures. Call 718-331-7775. Again, that number is 718-331-7775. Check out their website at www.brooklynvetgroup.com. Mention In the Arena and receive 10% off your first visit. Join Bishop Nicholas DiMarzio for the annual Procession and Mass, celebrating the contributions of the Italian immigrants in Brooklyn and Queens on Sunday, October 2nd. A procession honoring the guardian angel will begin at 3 p.m. at Grand Army Plaza in Brooklyn and will conclude at 4 p.m. at St. Joseph Coe Cathedral on Pacific Street, where a special Mass will be offered for the victims of the recent devastating earthquakes in Italy. We hope you will join us on October 2nd as we celebrate, pray, and remember. In the arena with Monsignor Kieran Harrington. Call in at 347-921-4NET. 347-921-4NET. Hey gang, welcome back to In the Arena. My name is Monsignor Kieran Harrington. You're listening to us on 710 on your AM dial. That's WR Radio, 1430 on your AM dial. That's Relevant Radio, Channel 97 on Time Warner, Channel 30 on Cablevision, Channel 48 on Verizon Fios. And we hope that you're following us on Facebook at In the Arena, net backslash In the Arena. Uh, you know, uh, fellas, uh, this week, uh, what's impending is President Obama is going to shift authority for the Internet to uh, an international body. There's all sorts of reaction backlash from government. Is this a good idea or a bad idea? I'm suspicious of it, um, if only because this is perhaps the most innovative tool of the last 50 years. It has been responsible for expanding quite a bit of freedom around the world, and quite a bit of nations uh, resent that and do want to see curtailments on speech. They exercise that now. Uh, via electronic controls in their own country. But this is something that I believe would be a lot easier if that were the case, if we were to give up on ICON. Are you supporting President Obama in this, uh, bringing in the multinational to, uh, trust his judgments. You I'll are. Put it that way. Let me ask you I, something. I, I'm, I'm not Actually, a tech Matthew, expert, you, Let me ask you yes. something. Do you think, uh, you know, Tiananmen Square, when you Google Tiananmen Square, what are you going to find on your uh, on your Google search? Here in Beijing. That's the issue. Do we want Beijing? Do we want uh, certain regimes governing certain repressive regimes coming out of the uh, UN which there are many of them kind of governing the uh, governing the internet I, w- I would say that my my instinct is to trust president obama but i also am not the biggest fan of the UN or at least i have You're you not. know at least some distrust there so 
you know, until you I believe in unilateral activity, you don't like all this <laughs> multilateralism that we're hearing about. No, I just think the UN sometimes is a pretty ineffective body, and mm-hmm. some of the people who have positions of power and authority in it are really retrograde and nasty countries. But you would think this is a ma- I would think this is a major issue. It's happening October 1st yeah. and yet not a lot of discussion, not I mean you would think this yeah. would be a major issue for everyone to be talking about and mm-hmm. instead we're looking at screens of kids kicking in in windows in North Carolina and and we're not talking about a, a fundamental shift. I mean the internet governs so much today of what we do. Look, we're not talking about any issues in this campaign. This campaign right. hasn't been about issues. It's been about ancillary controversies and little, uh, you know, dust-ups that occur and capture our attention, and then we move on to something else. We're not talking about issues. What's Ted Cruz is talking about this, but what, nobody else is. What's the response? He is, that's right. What is the responsibility of the media to kind of elevate the discussion? Have they kind of brought the dis- have they Have they actually lowered the bar of the media? Oh, yeah. I mean, this was a really... I mean, just look at cable news. I mean, sometimes using the phrase the media can be problematic, right, because there's small magazines, there's newspapers, there's print, cable, all the rest. But I definitely think overall the media has totally failed us this election season. You would agree with that, Noah? Yes, in large part. And I would make the exact same distinction you just made about uh, print versus television. With so many different outlets and with so many different ways, how is it that media has failed us? Well, let me. In fact, here, you're saying that example. so many choices is actually a bad thing. There should be fewer choices, and someone should be yeah, curating no, the information we're getting. No, absolutely uh, not. No, I think you know. For example, you know, some of the investigative work that the New York Times and the Washington Post have done has been really stellar and has really informed us about the candidates uh, in a way that you know we we really rely on them for that. However, you know, how many people subscribe to the New York Times versus you know watch watch cable news or get their get their news from a variety of sources online. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about a fairly elite audience who pays attention to these things. Yes, it can trickle down, but to give you an example, I was in central Pennsylvania visiting my parents last weekend. The local papers had nothing, essentially, of substance about the election. And so if, unless you get the New York Times or the Washington Post, I don't really know sometimes how, how this information trickles down to people who don't live in New York or Washington or you know, have, have fairly uh, civilized ways of reading the news. That's a good point. I'm not entirely sure whether or not I agree with Charles Lane, Washington Post columnist Charles Lane had a good point today, which is essentially that the media has done its job when it comes to Donald Trump. They've investigated him quite a bit, and to Hillary Clinton to a large extent as well. But the public that matters doesn't care. It's not that they're not privy to this information. It's virtually jury nullification. They're saying, hmm. we reject this verdict because of XYZ mitigating factor, the system, what have you. But, I mean, the, the thing is, is that they're, they, who they are as individuals, you know, you, whatever you want to say about uh, Trump. Or, but, but let's get beyond even who they are. Let's just say, what is it you hold to? Why, aren't the, why is the media not driving the agenda on the questioning about what are the policies that you will pursue as president of the United States? Because that's apart from the corruption of Hillary Clinton or the narcissism of Donald Trump. What that is really about is, is what are the positions, what is going to happen in this country? Well, that's, that's been a long-time problem, right? Like horse race coverage of presidential elections has just been endemic for quite a while now. And the other thing is, given the pressures that a lot of media outlets are under to make ends meet, to get clicks for eyeballs, you know, are you going to give a fairly in-depth account of the policy differences between uh, Trump and Clinton on 
you know, issue X, Y, or Z? Or will you, you know, have a splashier? Can I tell you uh, something? I think yeah. that uh, just going back to the internet thing, I know that when I, you know, need a pizza, I go uh, pizza near me. Uh, I am concerned about what those internet searches are going to show up, and all of a sudden, what information is going to drop off the internet or be put on the internet. And and it's especially an important issue, you know, when we have the Russians who are sort of infiltrating our election system. They've uh, hacked our, you know, hacked the the first lady or the uh, secretary of state's um, email accounts. We don't know what the heck information. This is these are major concerns for us. Yeah, there's also incentive structures in place. Look, Google drops yeah. information from from Chinese yeah. internet on request. Yes, because they want to do business in that market. It's a huge market. The the media keeps a, a, a media is again too broad. Cable news keeps a 90 minute focus on an empty Trump stadium podium. Trumpy stand podium because that draws eyeballs. People are uh, interested yeah. in what's going to happen next, and they vamp for ninety minutes instead of going after policy. That ends up not doing nobody any favors. By the way, somebody's going to get elected, and they're going to have to govern, and they're not going to have any mandate to do anything because we don't know what they're going to do. We're not yeah. voting on a program. All right, let's go. Uh, let's shift uh, just to the raw politics of it. You were in uh, Central Pennsylvania. Is yeah. uh, is Trump going to win in Pennsylvania? No, he won't. I think this is a sort of the uh, uh, the last. Elections, it's been a siren song for Romney won 54 of Pennsylvania, 67 counties, yeah. but lost the state to Obama by five and a half percent because of high Democratic turnout in Philadelphia. Is that mm-hmm. going to happen again? I think something very similar will happen to that. Trump will do well in the kind of T area, the middle of the state, north part of the state, the kind of former railroad towns, uh, steel towns, places like that. Uh, but that's just there's just not enough of those people really. For a Republican to win Pennsylvania, if uh, Trump wins Pennsylvania, he wins the election. Oh yes, absolutely. Yeah. So if, if, if it's if he wins Pennsylvania, then it's lights out for Hillary Clinton. Yeah. He's just spending money there now. How much has Trump spent on advertising? Uh, I think nothing in the month of August <coughs> and in September. He's started to spend a little bit of money. I think the money is going to matter in this election. Well, it certainly hasn't for Hillary Clinton, right? I mean, she's mm-hmm. dropping tens of millions of dollars yeah. on, on advertising and impressions, and it. You know, all of a sudden we had a stumble outside of the 9-11 memorial, and all of that went away overnight. What are the states that are going to flip in this election? Your predictions. Uh, you want to go? I think I think yeah, Donald I, Trump is going to flip Iowa. Iowa? Yeah, I would I would agree with that. I think Nevada, right now he's up in Nevada, which okay. uh, Romney did not win in yep. 2012, right? Um, Michigan's close. Or it's close. If he closer, flips Michigan, he also going, wins. Yeah, right? I don't he's think he's going to do it, but okay. but that's one of the races that is at least within. On the other side points. of the aisle, uh, you have Georgia, which is a toss-up race right yeah. now, um, which is hasn't gone Republican, I think, since seventy-two. Uh, right after Jimmy, no, Jimmy Carter won Georgia seventy-six. Yeah. Uh, and oh yeah, that's Democratic. You're right, seventy-six. North, North Carolina's close. North, North Carolina's Carolina. close, but yeah. So I I think I'm tempted to say that Donald Trump could flip. Or rather, hold North Carolina, but I think Hillary Clinton is actually in Ohio. Flip North Carolina, in Ohio. Trump's, Trump's Ohio up right a, now. Yeah. So there's a lot happening uh, in the elections here, and and certainly a lot of transformation. It's funny we entered, we started this conversation with you guys saying that you think Donald Trump is going to lose, he'll lose big to Hillary Clinton. But then we start talking about some states. You're talking about some big states flipping. Well, but anyway, I'm not going to alignment. Yeah, election. real. That's yeah. that's what's going to happen here. We're up next. We're going to speak with uh, Mark uh, Gershon. Uh, who is the co-founder and chairman of the Gershon Lerman Group and uh, is a philanthropist and is, in, is actually supporting a Christian missionary outreach mm-hmm. in Africa. So we'll up next we'll talk to him a little bit about uh, the work that he's engaged with and why as a Jew, committed Jew he's supporting a Christian uh, mission outreach. 
That's next on In the Arena. You're listening to a 710 WOR Radio, Channel 97 on Time Warner, Channel 30 on Cablevision. Follow us on Facebook at Net In the Arena, or you can follow me at Monsignor H using the hashtag In the Arena. Noah at? Noah C. Rothman. Noah C. Rothman and Matthew, Matthew Sitman. Matthew Sitman. We'll yeah. be right back. Dear Calvary Hospital, my dad was at the end of his life, suffering from pancreatic cancer. I knew there was only one place that could relieve his pain and ours as well, Calvary Hospital. His wish was to die at home, so it was Calvary Home Hospice that provided Dad with the quality of life he deserved, filled with exceptional comfort and warmth. He passed on with dignity and grace, and we were all there with him. A year later, my mom needed the same Calvary care. And once again, Calvary's expert home hospice staff was there for us. My parents gave me unqualified love their entire lives. There was no better way for me to return this love than with Calvary's care. Yours truly, Deborah DiGregorio. This is Frank Calamari, president of Calvary Hospital. Our world-renowned hospice program brings our expert end-of-life care right into your home. Call us at 718-518-2465. Liquid Dreams Design. Outstanding for all your printing needs, especially same-day service including banners, signs, posters, graphics, custom wall coverings, and step-and-repeat backdrops. Call 718-627-8599 and mention DeSales Media Now to get 10% off. Or visit their website at liquiddreamsdesign.com. As the pieces of the financial investing and retirement puzzle continue to get more complicated, feel confident in your financial future at Janney Montgomery Scott. Janney's analysts and market strategists have the knowledge and expertise to help you understand trends and identify opportunities in changing markets. Call George Prezioso at 718-238-4800 for a complimentary consultation and financial report. Or go to Janney.com, Janney Montgomery Scott, LLC. Founded in 1985, the Brooklyn Veterinarian Group, located on New Utrecht Avenue, has been serving the community's pet needs for over 25 years. Dr. Pernice and his staff handle everything from prevention of heartworms, fleas, ticks to vaccinations, x-rays, and routine surgical procedures. Call 718-331-7775. Again, that number is 718-331-7775. Check out their website at www.brooklynvetgroup.com. Mention In the Arena and receive 10% off your first visit. Hi, this is Monsignor Jamie Giantiello of the Diocese of Brooklyn, inviting you to support Catholic education and school choice by assisting a needy family through futures in education. You can help children in underserved communities throughout Brooklyn and Queens attend local Catholic schools where 98% of the students graduate high school and are accepted into four-year colleges. Discover how you can give back by sponsoring a needy child at futuresineducation.org. That's futuresineducation.org. Help us change a child's life through the gift of education. And Butchies of Brooklyn, Italian kitchen and legendary desserts. We offer everything, a cafe, a bakery, a restaurant, and full bar. Our kitchen offers old-world Italian recipes handed down from generation to generation, specializing in Italian-American cuisine. Let us host your next affair in our home, or we can cater to you in your home. Located in Staten Island at 4864 Arthur Kill Road, and you can call us at 718-227-0002. In the arena with Monsignor Kieran Harrington on 710 WOR. 
Hey gang, welcome back to In the Arena. My name is Monsignor Kieran Harrington. You're watching us on 710 WOR Radio, 1430 on your AM dial. That's Relevant Radio, Channel 97 on Time Warner, Channel 30 on Cablevision, Channel 48 on Verizon Fios. You know, we were speaking about the elections in the uh, last uh, couple of segments and talking about what American policy is, but one of the real important elements of the United States is the charitable work that goes on in the United States. And and I'm very, very pleased to have with me Mark Gershon, who is the co-founder and chairman of the Gershon Lehrman Group, a peer-to-peer business learning company. Uh, he's a philanthropist and co-founder of the African Mission Healthcare Foundation. And with his wife, uh, Rabbi Erica Gershon, he is the founder of the Gershon Lachaim. Lachaim Prize. Lachaim Prize for Outstanding uh, Missionary Service. Thank you very much for being with us. Thank you for having us. So how does a good Jewish boy get involved with... Uh, the Christian Medical Missionary Service. So I was introduced to the work of Christian Medical Missionaries probably 15 years ago when one of my closest friends from college, Dr. John Fielder, who was always a man, even as a young man, of deeply devout faith, said that he had done the math and he realized just how desperately his services as an infectious diseases physician were needed in Africa. So he felt called to go and he went, and this was about 99, early 2000. And so it's from John that I learned about all the challenges that Christian Medical Missionaries face and about the enormous, almost genuinely unbelievable amount of good they do with the resources they're given. So I was introduced to the medical missionary community by John, and it's been a great privilege to be able to support his work and the work of other missionaries that he's identified since. Okay, I want to just uh, talk about that. So you guys were in college together. We were, yeah, 94. Okay, so you're in college together. Are you a devout Jew in 94? Yes, you are. Yeah. Your wife is a rabbi. My wife's a rabbi. So you, uh, you, you're a devout Jew. He's a devout Christian. Right. What was the commonality you had? Uh, John was always the most morally serious person I knew, even when he was 18 years old. I remember sitting with him in the cafeteria, and he was trying to figure out what he wanted to be when he grew up. And he was trying to figure out how he could do the most good with the skills he would acquire in whatever profession he chose. And uh, that moral seriousness was just something that inspired me then, and it continues to inspire me now. And so he then decides that uh, that there is a there is a dearth of doctors in Africa, and that's where he could do the most good. That's right. And the numbers are the numbers are appalling. So Malawi, where he served for five years, Malawi has 17 million people and about 150 doctors. That's doctors. It's not specialists. That's doctors. Tanzania, where I just visited with with John, has 45 million people and between 100 and 150 surgeons, depending if you count retired surgeons. Mm-hmm. So these aren't specialists. These are surgeons. So the biggest problem in African healthcare is the few number of providers. And the people doing the providing, the doctors serving the African poor, are Christian missionaries. So as a Jew, we know that the phrase that is said most often in the Torah is love the stranger. And when we think about how do we best execute upon that command, how do we best follow God's word, uh, the Christian medical missionaries are right there. Because for most of us, maybe all of us in the West, even if we aspire to love the stranger, there's always something abstract about it. But when you meet the Christian medical missionaries, you learn there's nothing abstract about it. And by learning that and seeing it, it's made us better Jews. For instance, I was at this Catholic um, facility in, in Kenya, and I was talking with the two uh, nuns, Sister Deborah and Sister Margaret, who run it. And what they do is they go out into the community, the poor community that they serve, to find the disabled children. I said to them, when they describe what they're doing, I said to them, 
It's like you're running an intelligence operation looking for the disabled because they had all the same characteristics as intelligence operation, trying to find out where they are, who knows them, how they can get to them, how they can convince them to come and be treated and be loved uh, at their facility because in some places in, in Kenya, the disabled are really cast aside. So they love these children so much. And so the same thing actually at a place in Tanzania. They love these children so much, they go to any length possible to find them, to treat them, and to love them through action. Mm-hmm. That's loving the stranger. There's nothing abstract about it. And so by seeing that and learning that, that's made us better Jews. When you think about your own life, what, what kind of work are you engaged in, you, Mark? So um, I started a, a couple businesses. I started um, Gerson Lammer Group, and I started Thuzio. So I'm an entrepreneur. So you're a guy who's out trying to start a business. What kind of businesses? What do they do? So uh, uh, Gerson Lammer Group is an education company. We have several hundred thousand uh, experts who we arrange to um, educate our clients who are companies and consulting firms and law firms and investment firms. Mm-hmm. And uh, Thuzio has a software component and an events component. All right. So you have – I mean, so you have the, the work of uh, growing a business and taking care of your employees and provide – you know, making uh, – is a your privately held firm, you know, sure. so so you you have all that going, and at the same time you're you're focused on people halfway around the world. Yeah, well the uh, you know the, the the Torah commands us to uh, love the stranger, and uh, you know the the African poor are the stranger for many of us. Um, you know it it's easy to go through a life and and never never think about them, and uh, but they are the stranger, and and it's kind of the rare case in life where. More money can be very helpful with absolutely no unintended consequences. Mm-hmm. I mean, these Christian missionaries work at the right hand of God, and all they need is more support. So when we look at that and we say, well, we can provide that support, and for a variety of structural reasons, very few other—structural reasons that are no good. Like, yeah. very few others are doing it. So we, we say <clears throat> the amount of people we can help, the amount of strangers we can serve by supporting the Christian mi- medical missionaries— is enormous, so it was a logical place for us to go. You know, in the United States, the hospital bills for a single patient can be over half a million dollars. Right. Is that the same in Africa? No. I mean, uh, uh, so w- one of the facilities that we, that we support in, in Africa is a facility called Plaster House in Tanzania, which has uh, children who have uh, disabilities um, – often caused by uh, non-fortified foods that their um, mothers ate when they were pregnant mm-hmm. and uh, problems in the water supply. So they can be born with feet that are facing the wrong way, that their, their knees walk uh, face together when they, when they walk. Um, so we saw two- and three-year-olds awaiting surgery. Even Sadder was seeing 14- and 15-year-olds because they had never walked a step in comfort. Now, the surgery to help these people costs, on average, three $400. Wow. So a child who can never walk straight, walks with his knees together, or sometimes actually has feet facing the wrong way, can, you can have corrective surgery and the subsequent care for well under $500. So the amount – and that's all because the Christian medical missionaries are, are – they're great doctors, they're great administrators, and they run a great program. And it's because of their extraordinary devotion that these kids have the opportunity to be treated at such little cost. So all we have to do is come in there and fund it. And you do. I mean, you give a half a million dollars each year to the Christian Medical Missionary Service, right? So the half million dollars... um, Is it a prize? Exactly. So the half million dollars is for the prize. um, And the prize we inaugurated uh, this year because... 
what we had seen over the years was that um, there were so many medical missionaries doing such outstanding work, and we wanted to help bring attention to their work and honor and fund one of the most outstanding people in their field. Um, so last year, Nick Kristoff of the New York Times profiled Dr. Tom Katena, mm-hmm. who is a uh, Catholic missionary serving in the Nuba Mountains. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's just his goodness is truly unbelievable. And the, the amount of people that he helps with such limited resources is extraordinary. And so Nick Kristoff wrote, wrote about Dr. Katena. And uh, my wife and I said that we would match um, up to $100,000 raised in his honor. Um, that was, the article was published in November. Just one mention in an article. We filled that match in about a week. Just because wow. when people are educated <clears throat> about the work of Christian medical missionaries, we, we, have, we had donations from U.S. senators, from rabbis, from priests, from mm-hmm. everybody. It's just when people were educated about the great work they did through Nick Christoph's column, they gave. And then we increased the match and increased it again, and it kept getting hit. So when we realized how successful um, fundraising for Christian medical missionaries could be when there's this kind of public recognition and a match, we said, well, why don't we make it a prize? Mm-hmm. So... Um, so uh, we give over a half million outside the prize, and then we said, let's do another half million with the prize to hopefully bring attention and galvanize support around an outstanding Christian medical missionary. So who won the prize this year? So we're down to four finalists. Okay. And, uh, Tell I, us about them. Well, I don't even know who they are yet. Because okay. uh, um, John, John uh, Fielder, he, he's curated um, 10 of the most outstanding people in the Christian medical missionary field uh, to be the judges. So cause we, we want this prize not only to be financially meaningful, which it's going to be, but also to be a real honor. So it's, it's an honor if the winner is chosen by the most well-respected people in his field. Mm-hmm. So they have the applications now. That's, it really is amazing, the work that you, you're engaged in. And your wife's a, a rabbi, so yes. what's the spiritual component for you? Um, well, the spiritual component is it, it infuses um, everything we do. Um, you know, she loves the Lord. She's a rabbi. Uh, so do I. We study... Uh, we study the Torah each week with our children. Every does, she, does she have a pulpit, or is she? No, but she has four kids under eight. Okay, so that's the pulpit. That's the right. pulpit that's is right. the, the dining room table. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. So, uh, and then um, every Friday we go to the site uh, uh, watsi.org, mm-hmm. which uh, source every Friday night being Shabbat. Yep. So we uh, because uh, Watsi has uh, cases of of kids and adults who need medical treatment that our foundation sources a lot of them from Africa. And so you can see this child needs uh, surgery on the knees, or this woman needs uh, fistula surgery. It's going to cost $400. Mm-hmm. And you can see how funded it is. So we educate our children in philanthropy by bringing them to the site every week. Mark, I, I just, uh, you know, that's such a very beautiful story because, I mean, that is really keeping holy the Sabbath. Thank you. When you were able uh, to do that. So where can people go to contribute to, uh, to uh, the Christian Medical Missionary Service? Well, thank you. They can go to um, AfricanMissionHealthCareFoundation.usAMHF.com. US. Thank you very much for being with us Thank uh, you. this morning. You're listening to In the Arena on 710 WR Radio, Channel 97 on Time Warner, Channel 30 on Cablevision, 1430 on your AM dial. That's Relevant Radio, Channel 48 on Verizon Fios. Follow us on Facebook at In the Arena, Net In the Arena. Make sure you follow us on Facebook and on Twitter at Monsignor H. Thanks, John, for being with us, and thanks for all the good work you're doing. Oh, thank you for having me. God bless you, and may the Lord hold you in the palm of his hand. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.